All right. I didn't mention much this morning, but I am thankful for our country as we celebrate the 4th of July. And you've been around here long enough, you know that I understand the ills of our country. And, and personally, I think that our country is it's, it's, it's at the worst, morally speaking, than it's ever been. But we still live in a great, great country. And we have more freedoms than other countries. And, you know, it's funny how that's, that's political, you know, you, you can't say things like that. I don't even understand. You can't love the country you're in. But everybody, that would include all of us that have moved to this country uh, or our relatives that moved to this country from other countries, they can love their old countries while they're in this land, but we can't love this country and we live in this land. I don't understand it. Okay, let's be thankful for, for, for our country and that we still do have freedoms and let's not give up on it. Okay? I can be super negative about our country if I wanted to be, but I'm not giving up, and, and I just want to serve the Lord and reach as many people as we can. So thank for that, thankful for that. We had a great morning this morning. We had so many new people here this morning, and so thank you so much for just inviting people. I think we had a couple people came, and someone uh, saw them somewhere, and they asked about, hey, you know, do you know of a good church? And one of our folks said, I do know one. And they sent them to another church in the city. Just kidding. And they invited them, and they showed up this morning. And so... That's really exciting. Thank you, thank you for that. You know, um, I want to share a thought tonight, and we'll, we'll share some practical thoughts, but um, too often we have, there, there are certain times when you experience, like, you know, spirituality, you, you experience something, I, we call it a spiritual high, right? Like, it's always good to serve Jesus, but you'll be in a meeting or you'll be somewhere and it's like, wow, I'm just, I'm just really energized. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you read your Bible that morning and, and the coffee was good and you just got all kinds out of it and you're ready to go. But way too often that happens to us and it never translates into action in our practical daily living. We like that high that we get. But as soon as we get away from that spiritual high, there's really, really no difference. Um, why does that happen? Because a lot of people respond emotionally without ever planning to actually take that spiritual, that spiritual truth or jolt of, jolt of excitement and actually make it a part of their life and actually live what they've, what they've experienced right? Sometimes our kids, we, we, our, they'll go to our youth conference, or we used to go to youth conferences back in the day. I'm thankful we have one here now. We used to take kids like way far away, and that was just, that was just too much. But we have a good one here, and uh, kids will make decisions, sometimes even adults. They'll make decisions in a meeting or whatever, and they're so excited, and boy, God spoke to them, and then it's all emotional, and they leave, and then they never do anything with what they, what they got, you know, I don't go to a lot of conferences. I just don't really have a lot of time. I have a schedule set up for the year, and that's what I do. Uh, but the one I do go to when I'm there, you know, they have a little book they'll give you, and you take notes and so forth. But, but I, in the back, I, my notes are, what, what did I want to apply? What are some things that spoke to me I want to do something about? That's what I like to do. And so that's very important as a Christian. We should, we should take the spiritual energy we get from God and we should do something very practical with it. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. The story we're, talk, we're going to look at in Matthew chapter number 17 takes place right after Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. If you'll look at Matthew, keep it open. We're going to look there tonight. Matthew chapter 17. These verses we did not read for time's sake. But verse 1, it says, And after six days, uh, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. And was transfigured before them. 
And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah, Elias, which is Elijah, talking with them. Now, that's not going to be the story we're going to look at, but it leads to where we're going. And by the way, the word transfigured mean is, is, is the same as the word transformed. In other words, it's a metamorphosis. What is on the inside is now revealed on the outside. And this is the only time in the scriptures uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration where the real glory of Jesus Christ that he had on the inside was manifest, manifested on the outside. That's what God really does with us when he's talking about transformation. God works on us on the inside and then we cannot help but show that in the way we live on the outside. That's not the message. The, not the message. But when that does happen, by the way, that's because that's the process we call sanctification. We experience that as we spend time in God's word. We experience that as the word of God works in our heart inwardly, and then it is expressed in our lives outwardly. But thinking of these, this, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, spending time with Jesus and seeing, seeing the, his glory and then seeing Moses and Elijah, uh, that was a spiritual high for them. How wonderful it must have been, a tremendous experience. As they maybe have thought back to, to the sacrifices they had made and the decisions they had made to follow the Lord in their life and, 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 and give up their past and all these different things, this is one of those times where it's like, this is worth it. This is worth it. Now they come down from such an incredible experience. They saw the Lord transfigured. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. Those three saw something nobody else saw. And they come down from that spiritual experience and they get smack, hit smack dab in the face with the issues of life. They go down there, the rest of the disciples, there's a crowd around them. We read this in the same story in a different gospel. And they're accosting them and they're asking them questions and they're trying to trip them up. And then there's also a man there who desperately needs help for his demon-possessed son. What, is the, what are we looking at? Spirituality is, here's what we want to look at tonight. Spirituality is not separate from the rest of our life. There's no compartments there. When we have that time and God's speaking to us and things are going well and God's working in our life uh, personally and we're learning his word and all those things, that's not just so we can take that and move on with our lives and do our own thing. It has to have a practical application. The reason that's important is because most people want to separate, and really to think that you can is ignorant, but they want to separate what they call the spiritual elements of their life from the practical aspects of their life. You see, we'll go to church, and church is church. You know, we may read our Bibles, and our Bible is our Bible. We may do this, and that's, and then, but my life is my life. And there are different compartments. And the fact of the matter is, as a Christian, there are no compartments. It's all spiritual. Spirituality needs to touch every aspect of your life every hour of the day, to be real honest with you. Why do people act like that? Because they just don't want it to interfere with their desires. Some people know, they'll, they'll, God will speak to them, and, and some people are real careful about letting it really make a difference because they have plans for their own life already. They have things in their life they want to do, and they do not want God and his word interfering with that. They don't want it to interfere with their beliefs. I believe it was about a year ago, our, our, uh, our vice president was speaking against uh, a pro-abortion 
And she said that, and she tried to use her faith as an excuse to be for abortion. Well, let me just say a couple things about that. Number one, faith and abortion are diametrically opposed to each other. And secondly, if a Christian thinks abortion's okay, I question your faith. I'll just throw that out there and let that stick. That's not the message. That was like a five-second commercial. But the disciples, as they came down, had to quickly learn that they must merge and take that spiritual, that spiritual high they had and really use it to energize everything that they are doing in their life. Now, there's nothing wrong with a spiritual high as long as it gets down to the practical valley, right? We like the highs, but we live in the valley. Let's bring it down and let's work with it and use it in our lives. We must have the ability to take what we get from the spiritual, God's word, and put it into practical reality in our everyday living. That's why we're here. Sometimes the negative people say about your church, it's like, you guys are just a little bit too, too straightforward. You're a little bit to, you know, to you just say it like it is. Well, isn't that what the Bible's for? If you want to just come here, now you're the Sunday night crowd, so I get you're not. But if you just want to come here and hear some cute little flowery spiritual TED talk, this is not the right church for you. I don't want to come here and just say something that tickles your fancy, and then you go out there and, 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 and you, it doesn't make any, any difference in your life. I want the Bible to make a difference in my life. And I want it to make a difference in our lives as a church and as individual members of our church. What we face in life, our everyday travels, can be met with success if we can translate what is gained on the spiritual high and bring it with us into the valley of our everyday life. That's it. You know, the disciples, so many times, they, 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 just, they, they just didn't get it. And Jesus had to get on them. They didn't get the truth he was teaching them. They didn't, get the, they, they didn't get the application from the things they saw Jesus do. And they would get in a situation and not know what to do. And Jesus like, well, what's going on? Little faith, don't you get what I was trying to tell you? And before we get on them, we all struggle with that as well. Can I get a witness? So we need to be very careful about that. Most of our problems, I'm not going to belate it because we mentioned this morning, are because of a lack of taking what we have learned from the Bible and putting it into practice in the situations we face on an everyday basis. And what happens is the negative things that we face in our life are things that we didn't need to face. The failures that we have in our life are failures we didn't need to experience. experience. So what's the message today? The spiritual must meet the practical. The high they, 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 that they experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration, they had to have it when they got down from that place and they had to face people with problems and things in their life. They had to have it. You can't separate them. There are two issues related to our spirituality, and then we'll get into the message. First, many of us don't really get, want to get spiritual. We don't. We... Um, we want a, we want a, we, we get a, a vaccination, right? A true vaccination. We get a little bit of the real thing so that we can fight off the fight off the real thing. And so we want to come to church just enough to ease our conscience so we can go, walk out of the church and just continue living the life we're living. We want to get just enough from the Bible to make me feel good. That's why most Christianity, these, 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 these lame songs we're singing, they're nothing about, they're nothing but just emotional 
uh, emotional, uh, uh, you know, highs and lows. Oh, I'm in the desert. Like, get out of the desert. Okay? Go get an air conditioner. You know, and I understand we have emotions, but we have made Christianity such an emotional thing. We only live on an emotional plane, and we don't live on a practical plane, and that's what we're supposed to do. And then secondly, if we do and get into the, the spiritual, we try to keep a wall there to separate it from our everyday living. Now, looking at this man waiting at the bottom when they came down, we find several areas where we ought to take the spiritual that we're learning and bring it into these areas in our life. We don't, we don't, we don't split our life up. Everything about our life is to be spiritual. I hope you understand that. And it's going to be very practical, and we'll get through it. Number one, you should bring the spiritual to your family, to your family. And when they were, verse 14, and when they were come down to the multitude, there came unto him a certain man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. This man needed Jesus' help for his son in his family. He had an issue. And he had an issue that he, only, he knew that nobody else could help. He had to get to Jesus to get this problem fixed to get this child healed from this demon possessions. The Bible tells us in, in, the other, in the other gospels where the story is told that this was his only son. So he had a real vested interest in this. Can I make a couple applications when, when it comes to getting the spiritual to, a fam, to our family? That is why we as a church em emphasize the family. The family's a big deal. You look all throughout the Bible, everything, spiritually speaking, God uses a church, but it's up to the, to the family to get that in their family. It starts back in the Old Testament. They put the memorials up. They put all the things up, and it's like, you, you need to translate this and give it to your children so they can tell their children, and they can tell their children in the next generation. Why? They didn't have the scripture back then. But what we're doing is, we're separating spirituality, and we don't even want to get it into our family. We want to reach the next generation. And you can't apart from the family. And I'm just going to tell you, that's why one of the reasons among many, but one of the big reasons we're in trouble is because families are train wrecks in this country. It is a low percentage that has the biological mom and the biological dad of those children living together, still married, and, and going for the children. It is. And I understand that sometimes in our life, and I'm not condemning us that maybe in, our, in that situation, it happens. It happened in my family. I was raised by a single mom. I get it. But that's our ideal. We're saved. We're in here. Let's work that out, and let's bring the spiritual into our family. Dads and moms are important. The world is trying to change the definition of the family. They can change the definition of the family, but if they do change the definition, that's not a family. You can call it, that's like me looking at our dog and saying, that's the cat. And maybe if cats acted like dogs, I'd like them better. Okay? No. Just because I say that's a cat doesn't make it a cat. The importance of the family, the roles, right? Dad is in, you look at the average thing, and I'm not watching them. You know, you, you, all these sitcoms you're watching, dad's an idiot. Mom's the one doing everything, but she's totally oblivious to the kids, and the kids run the house. Maybe that explains the problems in our, in our families. There's no way you can have a spiritual family unless it's attached to spirituality and attached to the church. 
You've got to, you've got to it's emphasize spiritual, spirituality in your family. Make it a priority. By the way, making kid, having kids doesn't make you a good parent. Being a good parent makes you a good parent. you got to choose to do it, right? Being married doesn't make you a good spouse. Choosing to be a good spouse makes you a good spouse. It is your choice. And let me say this. I'm going to be really uh, straight up forward with you for a minute. Uh, I'm going to talk about the years of experience here. If you don't like it, that's fine. File it under, leave me alone, and we'll get back to the message in a minute. There's two, family, there's two problems I've seen in families over the years working. I've been here since we started the church 30, I think we're coming up on 35 years. Two, two problems. When a family leaves our church, unless they move or something like that, here's why. The first reason why is that one of the spouses goes sideways. This is how it is. And, and one of them here and the other one doesn't want to just stand up and say, that's fine, I'm going to stay here, and bad things happen. And let me say this, and, and ladies, uh, it, I'm gonna, it's going to sound like a negative, but I'm going to turn it into a positive. Are you with me? Most of the time, it's a lady. They'll come into the office like, Pastor, we just don't like what's going on. The husband just sitting there like, and he'll just like, it's like, bro, speak. Okay. And you say, is that a knock on ladies? No, that shows two things. Number one, it shows the influence you have. Well, it does show that the man won't stand up. But it shows the influence you have, and sometimes it's a desire for the husband to, to please you. But, but listen, we got to stay on board and do everything we can. The second one is because of the children. Here's what happens. Your kids grow up, and they love Sunday school when it's little. You don't bring anything spiritual into your family, into your house. You let them have devices, and, and, and they're, they're, they're all this garbage in their mind, and church is not going to be very appealing to them. And so when the kids get a little older, and I'm speaking from experience here. I could give you names, but I won't. The parents, all of a sudden, well, the church is bad, and they're looking down, and they're blah, blah, blah. You didn't feel that way when little, little Yahoo was in kindergarten class. It's when he got into high school. And you let him do what he wants, and you want to blame the church for it. Getting pretty weak here. And so they leave because they don't want to fight with their kids. I'll fight with my kids for that. Okay? And it's just, it's just nonsense. And then, and look, at every instance where that has happened like that, I'm just telling you, I see nothing but train wrecks. Because they're not going to a different church. They're going to quit church altogether. I've been telling you, I've been doing this for a long time. Maybe, and I'm not trying to be condemning, trust me, maybe if we got the spirituality thing going early on, we can head that off at the pass. You say, but pastor, I have came in the church, I'm a little older. You can get it going, okay? Get that spirituality in there. Lead your family the right direction. And let me just say this. this if you want your kids to stay straight, and I don't even want to look at you because they can't be in public schools. I'll look at myself. Oh, wow, I look good today. Okay. <laughs> I usually look at the baptistry, but man, nothing there. You know why? Look at, we cannot undo, no church can undo in three or four hours a week what is being done in our public school system. I went to, when I went to public school, you know, 15 years ago, I had a teacher to tell us he'd get us drugs, he'd get us alcohol. I mean, in, in those 15 years, or maybe a few more than that, has it gotten better? No, they're giving your kids pornographic books. 
And then I get up here and say, hey, God only made two, man and woman. Your kids look at us like, what an idiot. They've been brainwashed. But anyhow, that was free. We'll throw it in there, put it in a blender and see what you can get out of it, okay? The only way to have the family God wants us is if we allow him in, okay? Shouldn't being spiritual make us a better spouse? I didn't say perfect there, okay? So ladies, don't elbow your husband there, all right? No one's perfect. But it should make us better, right? If it's not, something's wrong. Um, you know, I really appreciate our young folks because they get it. Over the last three or four years, we've had a lot of weddings of our young folks, and I always have premarital counseling with them when we go over things. And I'm very encouraged when I go over things because a lot of the nonsense that couples are going to face or some that weren't saved may have faced, they're, they're like, nope, we've done it the right way. No, no debt, all this stuff. And they're ready to go. That's an encouragement. They've already got a building block to go forward. And by the way, uh, 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 I, don't, I didn't have that building block in my life. And I know a lot of us that God saved later, we didn't have that building block in our life. But can we not want that for our children? Can we not help them? So it should make me a better spouse. It should make us a better parents. I already talked a little about that. I don't want to belabor it. But, but we, we, we do not take into account our family when we make decisions, I will never understand that. Other than your time with God, one of the most important things in your life is going to be a good church. Okay? So, oh, where's that in the Bible? Whole New Testament. Most of it was written to churches. Okay? It's everywhere in the Bible. If you can't see it, I can't help you. But, you know, it amazes me. People will get up and, like, uh, we're moving, and they'll move for a job, or they'll move to a state that's politically more conservative, and then they'll say, hey, pastor, we're moving. We got a job. Or it's, Do you know of a church in that area? I would never put my family somewhere where there's not a good church. Well, I get a bigger house. Great. You can, you, you, you can have a bigger house, but are you going to have a spiritual home? Let's be careful that we want God's will for our children. Well, I want my children to be rich. Well, if that's God's will, so do I, as long as they tithe. Right? We should have a service instead of asking people to become preachers. Who wants to be the next Russell Anderson? Man, we'd need a big old altar. He was a millionaire that gave money to, to, to churches and colleges all over the place. I'll be a Russell Anderson. Well, great, but we need more preachers. And if that's what God wants, parents, don't stop that. And by the way, I'll throw this in. You, know, they, you don't want your kids to go to Bible college anymore. You want them to go to a Christian college. Most of those Christian colleges aren't worth spitting on. That was free. I'm already in youth conference mode. I'm having a really good time. So you say, oh, the kids are like, good, you got on the marriage and you got on the parent. Shouldn't it make you a better child? Right? Hey, kids, don't be heathens. Okay? If you're going to church and you're in Sunday school and you're trying to live for God, that should translate to when you're at home. Right? Such things kind of like, I don't know, cleaning the house. If you can cook, helping to cook. If you can't cook, vacuum. Okay? It's better to vacuum than burn the food. Amen? But we should be better in every single way. I spent a lot of time on that, and I don't want to belabor it, so let's move on. Shouldn't we bring the spiritual to our fights? Say, oh, here we go. My wife and I were at it. I'm going to bring God into this thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Verse 15, and by the way, this is not your personal testimony for your son. Can you help my son? Verse 15, for he is a lunatic. Okay, I know, we've all been there, right? I look at some of my boys, I'm like, yeah, I think they're all lunatics, to be real honest with you. 
but it is what it is. And sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and off into the water. Where was the real problem? Verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil. The source of the problem was satanic in nature. And not everything, I talked about it this morning, a lot of our problems are self-inflicted, but we do have a spiritual enemy. And we do have things we have to face. Jesus battled there was with the demons and he got rid of them. Okay, the spiritual should help us in our spiritual battles. If we're in a spiritual battle, then we should want spiritual victory. And if we want spiritual victory, then we need to use spiritual weapons. Right? The weapon, uh, the, our weapons are not carnal. Okay? They're spiritual in nature. We have to win this. And by the way, you know what the good thing about the Bible? If we read it, it gives us the, the lowdown on Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. One of the things about the Bible, it just blows the lid on Satan. He'll try to tempt you, and it tells us how we overcome that, right? We overcome it with Scripture. It tells us what Satan's main characteristic is. You are the devil. He is a liar, okay? And you can tell he's a lie. How do you tell that what I'm hearing is a lie? Does it go against what the Bible says? Yep, it's a lie. And, and we, we understand that he's looking for the weakest one that he can. Be sober, be vigilant. For your, for your adversary, the devil, devil, looking around as a roaring lion. He's looking for who he can devour. He can't devour everybody. And so we know what he's trying to do. We know what his basic belief is. Ye shall be as God's knowing or deciding good and evil. Whenever we're the deciding factor in our life, and apart from Scripture, we do what we want to do, you have now just bought into the doctrine of Satan. That's his main doctrine. And so the Bible tells us all of these things, and we need to take that spirituality, and we need to bring it into our everyday life. The battles that we face. And by the way, we all face battles. I get it. Now, if you, you put something on or you're listening to something, and it's anti-God, and it's anti-Scripture, you might want to just turn it off. There you go. That's in the Bible, right? You know, just do what you're supposed to do. Number three, being spiritual, bring the spiritual to your frustrations. You listen to the dad talk. He says in verse 15 at the end, for oft times he falleth into the fire and off into the water. Can you imagine that? He wasn't going swimming. He was trying to hurt himself. And so he'd throw himself in the fire, try to drown himself. Could you imagine how, as a parent, how you would feel if your child's trying to hurt themselves? By the way, it's always a sign of demon uh, intervention and, and possession. They always, there's self-affliction. Verse 16, here's the real frustration. And I brought him to thy disciples. And they could not cure him. This dad is frustrated. He didn't get the help that he needs, and he'll do anything to get that help. By the way, when we get frustrated in life, we start to get hopeless. Why? We don't get hopeless. That was weak. Don't be hopeless. Okay? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, if you're saved, you can get through anything. Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, it may be a problem. Yes, it may not be pleasant. But you know you can get through it. But you never get through anything if you quit. You never get through anything. Well, what we do is we let our frustrations drive us away from spirituality instead of running for spirituality and grabbing it and bringing it into what we're going through. That's our problem. 
No Christian ever needs to feel like they're in a hopeless situation. Do you know your marriage doesn't have to be hopeless? Your children doesn't have to be hopeless. People looked at us when, we were, when our kids were all younger. You got seven kids. It's like, what is wrong with you guys? It's like, you know, it was my wife's fault. She came from a big family, right? No. It's like, we love kids. Oh, and the days in which we live, boy, aren't they a problem or a hassle? Well, in a sense they are, but no, they don't have to be like that. Well, when they become teenagers, you know, they're just going to do their own thing. Do they really have to do their own thing? They don't have to. That's why you train them up. And so we get hopeless. We feel that there's a situation in life and we're not going to just get through it. And I have no future. But hope is what the Christian life offers. But we have to go to the spiritual. Remember David at Zitlag? He and his guys went and they, they, got, they messed up one of the cities. I forget which one. And they, they come back. And while they were gone, I think it was, I'm not sure, I think it may have been the Amalekites, came and they, they took all of their stuff, they took all of their families hostage and just took everything. And so here's David and his men coming back. They're, they're, they're distraught, his men, because they see their wives are gone, their children are gone, everything they have is gone. They don't know what's going on, and they're discouraged. And it was so bad, they, just, they were talking about stoning David. So not only was David down, he didn't have anybody who was on his side, on his side. He was by himself. Here's what 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 says. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. It doesn't say anything about their wives. I always found that interesting. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David sat down. And he thought about all that spiritual stuff he had learned. All that, you know, defeating Goliath. All this stuff going on. And he allowed that to take over and he was able to recover everything. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was lost. But he had to go to the spiritual to bring it back in the case of his frustrations. What about us? Some of us, sometimes it's almost like you can almost get, it's almost like we like being down on ourselves. We almost like the discouragement. Let's not do that. Let's go to the Lord, and he will help us to get through it. Next, bring the spiritual to your failures, to your failures. Verse 16, I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, he didn't get the cure that he wanted, and notice who he went to. He went to Jesus, guys, right? Three of them were on the mountain, but the other ones, we won't count Judas. He was kind of a, you know, whatever. But the other ones were down there. There was eight of them that were solid guys. And they couldn't do anything about it. These men that saw his miracles, they heard his teaching. They experienced the miracles. And yet, they failed. Failure is a part of life, unfortunately. Sometimes things happen, or maybe we don't react correctly in a right situation. And uh, the worst thing we can do is to, to, to make it worse and keep making bad decisions. But sometimes we, we have a little bit of a setback, and Satan comes our way, and he says, See, why are you even trying why would you even try to go forward when it's like, you know what? Get up, get back in your Bible, and get back on the road. That's what you need to do. The worst thing you can do is stop. See, we get discouraged because we start growing as a Christian, and we're going down the road, and then we stumble, and it's like, oh, well, why don't we stop and look at the progress we made? You're only going to have problems when you quit making progress. Get up and head the right direction. That takes spirituality. Temporary setbacks don't need to be your permanent destination. I think of Peter. 
Peter, okay, told Jesus, well, Jesus said they're going to come, take me, arrest me, blah, blah, blah. Peter's like, nope. And then he, I, I mean, I'd rather be a Peter guy than some of the others, but I mean, when they arrested Jesus, he took his sword out and said, I'm going to take somebody out. Now, he didn't, I think the guy ducked, he only lost his ear. So, hey, that's duck when someone's swinging at you. That's free advice right there. But he, and he said, and then he runs. And not only does he not stand with the Lord, he denies that he knows him, and he curses to prove to them so they'll believe that he doesn't know them. And then he saw Jesus, looked at him while Jesus was being, going through this mock trial, and he wept bitterly. What a failure. But you do know, 50 days later, on Pentecost, Peter's the one preaching, and thousands are getting saved. See, he stumbled and he fell, but he got right back up. And he got back with the Lord. Don't let temporary failure set you back. Uh, I'm hurrying here. Bring the spiritual to your faith. Look at verse 17. Jesus is going to use this to teach these guys a lesson. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him thither to me. Look at verse 19. Then came the disciples to, uh, to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, verse 20, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So they could not get it done, and Jesus is like, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This was a spiritual situation. And if you had the real faith you were supposed to have, the real spirituality, you could have done this. Now, he used it to teach them. But here's an application I see. How often do we try to live a life of faith and we really, really don't have spirituality? You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. No, we, don't, we never read our Bibles or spend time with God. And we think we're going to be able to live for him. You understand, as I said this morning, isn't that where we get the energy and the power to do the things we're supposed to do? You see, being a Christian isn't just doing a bunch of stuff. Being a Christian is getting close to God so you can do the stuff he wants you to do. You understand the difference there? And we're trying to do it on our own without any help from him, and that's always going to lead to failure. And by the way, you can fool people. Do you know who one of the most respected of the 12 disciples was? Judas. Judas. Two of the disciples, I think it was Peter and John, said, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they said, who? And he told them. He said, the one that dips the bread. Guess who did? Judas. And then Judas gets up and leaves. Now, to me, two plus two is four. Jesus said the one who does that is going to be the one who does. And then he gets up and leaves. They're like, oh, he's going to buy more food or he's going to run an errand. He had such a good name and reputation. They're like, it couldn't be him, even though everything just said it was him. He had zero spirituality. I'm not saying we have that, but I'm just saying sometimes we're trying to live a spiritual life without spiritual power. We'll come to church, and maybe we enjoy the service. Maybe we even occasionally open our Bibles, but we leave church, and we close our Bibles, and nothing good is going on because we're not seeking to be spiritual. A faith without spirituality is not a faith. It's just cleaned up flesh. And we have all kinds of, well, I go to church. Like, the only way I know that you go to church is because you said you do. 
well, I'm a Christian. The only way I, I know that you're a Christian is because you said you are. There's no evidence to that to prove that. And let me say this before I move on to the last one here. Our church, we believe the Bible, and so if we believe the Bible, you're, we're going to have convictions and standards, right? We're going to have convictions. The Bible says to do this, so I'm going to do it. The Bible says not to do this, so I'm not going to do that. And then we develop a standard. A standard is, for the lack of a better, it's a rule we put in our lives to help us to do what God says. Are you with me? You know, I'm not going to drink, so I'm not going to go to the bar. Okay, whatever. Well, you can drink at home, so I don't know. By the way, I'm glad I quit drinking Bud Light because of this whole thing going on. So uh, they're not getting my money anymore. None of them are getting my money. They, I quit a long time ago. But I, you develop these. And we have them, if you're in our school, we have a rule book. I'm not going to hide it from you, okay? Our staff, we have a rule book. We, policies we have to follow. But here's the problem with some of us. We can keep all these little things to a T, but if we're not spending time with God, eventually they're not, they're, it's, it's of no value. You're just playing a game. Now you say, that's why, Pastor, rules and regulations are not good. I'm just going to spend time with Jesus. Okay, well, the Bible, you know, has a lot of, if you want to call them that, I'll call them principles and truth. It has a lot of rules and regulations. So let's just, let's, let's just throw that out there. But that doesn't make me a good Christian. Spending time with God and seeking to obey him makes me a good Christian. And doing it from the right motive and doing the right things. Don't live under the illusion that keeping standards or convictions makes you spiritual. So why do we have them? They protect you so that you may flourish in your spirituality and not fail at it. And they're important. But you've got to have the spiritual aspect as well. Uh, next, bring the spiritual to your focus. Look at verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very minute. Jesus comes down and there's all of this stuff going on, right? Here's the, you know, my disciples, they're failures. They didn't get this job done. These people are over here trying to argue with us and ask questions. All this stuff is going on. But here's this dad right here in the middle of everybody that needs help. So he pushes everything to the side and says, opportunity right there. Jesus focused on the man's need. And I hope we will do that as well. Do we not see the opportunities as we spend time with God that God will place in our way to make a difference for him? Too many of us are asleep at the wheel. We want to get in our Bibles. We want to be fed, but we'll never step up and do anything for anybody else. By the way, it's selfish, right? One of the things we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, but the chimp talked about it on Thursday, God wants us to serve him. You say, but pastor, how do I serve God? You serve others? Well, pastor, I'm not serving others. I drive a bus. Well, why do you drive a bus? Which we need more of. But why do you drive a bus? So people can come to church. You know, I work in the nursery. Why do I work in the nursery? Because somebody has to, I guess. I don't know. No. So that we can have a service and people can hear and you can be a blessing to the young ones. Why do I do this? Because when people, why do I vacuum after the church service? So that when people come to church, they're not like saying, well, these people, can they rake the carpet? Right? They want to come in. It's like, we're ready to go. I don't want any distractions. It's serving God. We serve God by serving others. We have opportunities all around us. But here's the point we're done. Look at your life. Has spirituality made any difference in your life? 
Can you take the Bible and the things you learn from the Bible, and when a situation in life comes, can you take it and say, hey, I'm going to bring that into this area? The only way this is going to work is I've got to get God in this thing. Or do you just like, I'm just going to try to work it out on my own. Good luck with that, by the way. That won't work. We need God in every area of our life. And without him, as he said in John, you can do nothing. And I don't know about you. I don't want to do nothing. I, want, I, want to, I need help. I need, I need God. And we get that when we take the spiritual, like, oh, wow, that was great. A great day at church. Great day in my Bible. And then you're hit with something in life. It's like, how does God want me to handle this? What would the, what would the Bible say I'm supposed to do? And that will be a help to us. Let's stand together tonight, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a minute. There is, no, there is no compartments in your life if you're a Christian. There are no compartments in your life if you're a Christian. Okay, if you're saved and you're a Christian, do you know you're a Christian 24 hours a day? Every situation in your life, God wants to use it spiritually speaking. Every situation, everything going on in your life, God wants to be a part of it. And if God's not a part of our life, it's because we have chosen not to bring him into that. Maybe some of us, we need, to, we need to go to the mountain and get the spiritual. Maybe that's where the struggle is. We're trying to do this thing without God, and it's never going to work. But far too many just want just enough of God to make them feel good in their minds, but they, they don't want it to have any practical application in their life, and that just doesn't work. I'm sorry, it doesn't. You can go through the motions for a while, but you're like a car that ran out of gas. It may go for a while because it has momentum, but it's got no gas, and eventually it's coming to a stop. Let's allow God to work in every area of our life. The piano is going to play tonight. If God spoke to you, why don't you come? All of us need more of God. We don't need less. I need more of God. The struggles I've had in my life are typically because I've not really brought God into it as much as I should. 